I was realizing the other day that a lot of my favorite podcasts don't really have intro music. They don't have music at all. Uh-huh. They just like, it's just like, you know. Well, hi, friends, and welcome to Consortio Day. My name is John Chandler. Consortio Day is roughly the Latin for partners with God. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about how do those who do sacred work stay connected with God? How do they be in tune with God? How do they partner with God for the work that they are doing? So we talk about rhythms, we talk about habits, we talk about practices that people in different roles might take to stay connected with God for the work they do, and more importantly, to continue to be formed into the image of God, and as they do that work, how they can partner with God through that. My guest today is Ben Sternke. Ben is one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership, and he is also a church planter at The Table, which is an Anglican church just outside of Indy. I've known Ben for a number of years, been with him in person a few times, and then appreciated him from afar, and expected he would have great things to say to for this podcast, and of course, he did. You might already be familiar with Ben, or you might recognize his voice just from listening to the Gravity Leadership podcast, and if you haven't, I strongly recommend it, and you'll hear me mention that a number of times uh, in today's conversation. Uh, We are underway and getting into a regular rhythm now for this podcast after some great interviews and kind of our pilot season last fall. But now that we are ramping things up, I would love it if you could help spread the word, uh, share on social media, uh, leave reviews in iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for some of the feedback that some of you have sent already. And here we are with Ben Sternke. Um, all right. Well, Ben, mm-hmm. it's really good to see your face. It's uh, Even though nobody else gets to see your face, it's good yeah. for me to see your face. It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm having the same feeling, John. Nice so let's you. let's uh let's talk. Let's uh let's jump right in and why don't you tell us about the context of your sacred work? What do you do? What do I do? Um I do two, um primarily two things um uh for my sacred work. Uh one is that I am a, a co-pastor at a church that I planted here in Indianapolis called The Table. Um co-pastor with two other uh friends, really. And um yeah, it's a it's a church plant that has been, uh, I don't know, I can say more about it, but um, that's that's the context. A small yeah. church, uh, we're an Anglican church, a liturgical church, um, and a church that has a pretty robust, probably about 80% of our people uh, are in or have been in our discipleship groups. And so it's a very key part of who we are in a lot of the sacred work that I do is in those contexts. Um, those are meetings of, you know, six to eight people, uh, oftentimes meet in the evenings and, and we discern, you know, what, what God is doing in our lives. We teach through a, um, kind of a template, a process, a way of thinking about that, a way of discerning that. Uh, and then we do that. Um, so kind of both of those things. Um, but that pervades, you know, everything, everything about church work, um, you know, for me, feels like it falls under that rubric of, of sacred work. Um, yeah. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but <laughs> there are There's, moments that feel less sacred. Yeah. I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. The, when you're trying to figure out why the website won't work or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's about, that's half of what I do. Um, and then roughly the other half of my time is spent on um, an organization that a friend of mine and I started called gravity leadership. And uh, so that is very integrated with the church work that we do. Um, it's kind of uh, training leaders to center their lives in God's love and discern 
what God is doing in and through them um, through same kind of a thing, except these groups are all online. So we do kind of online. One way that people have described um, like gravity leadership groups is as like group spiritual direction almost. So like yeah. teach the, like a template for it and then we do it uh, together. So that's kind of the context for me. And in a lot of ways, those two are really similar, right? I mean, your similar. gravity leaders in your church are based on a lot of the same mm-hmm. principles. It's really just maybe the audience for them. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, I think about them differently, um, uh, and I th- I think it's because of my ecclesiology. I don't. I, I think of myself as coaching leaders, yeah. um, and I think of myself as pastoring people you know, sure. in my church. And so uh, there's a slightly different context for that, and. Uh, different ways that it gets worked out. But, you know, the same, I mean, we, you know, we, we don't come up with something new for our church. Um, it's, it's the same stuff that we teach in gravity and vice versa. There's kind of a symbiotic relationship between the two. It's not like we came up with all this stuff in gravity and then implemented it in our church, nor is it that we like did all this stuff in church and then we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Let's, let's teach other leaders how to do this. Um, there's very much an ongoing symbiotic relationship between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll put in a plug here, which is Gravity Leaders podcast is one of my favorite podcasts. And I'm just going to assume Thanks. that anybody listening to this out of my huge audience is already familiar with <laughs> your podcast. But if not, if not, I would definitely encourage you. There's some great conversations that happen there. I just, you know, knowing both you and Matt, I even enjoy just listening to the banter at the beginning because I feel like oh. I'm hanging out with old friends because you guys are old friends. Yeah, yeah. So I told you when I reached out to you, I feel like I still keep up with you, Ben, because I listen to you on your podcast. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I've I think about that a lot, actually. That podcasting, I think, it's an interestingly intimate format. Like to me, yeah. Like it does really make you feel like, oh, I'm in the room, or I'm, I'm, I know these people, right? Um, And there's something to that. I don't know because it is much more. At least the podcasts I think that I choose to listen to tend to feel more conversational. So in a lot of ways, you yeah. just feel like you're sitting at a at a table with someone yeah. rather than watching a production of something or listening. To yeah, a production yeah, of something, yeah. You know? That that is interesting. I feel like the video. This is probably uh, beside the point of this podcast, but <laughs> we're already off the rails. We're already off the rails. Keep going. I, keep going. I, I we're do good. think there is a, a there's an ability for audio to feel engaging without too much production value. So, you know, so to speak, but video is like, unless you've got some really good production value and you're making yeah. cuts in the right spot, like it takes a lot more work to make it interesting. Right. Um, cause I don't know, I don't want to watch a video of, you know, three people talking in a room for 45 minutes. I don't feel like I would want to watch that unless the like, camera's cutting away and you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just a lot more work. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So all that to say. Everybody who is not listening to mm-hmm. the Gravity Leadership Podcast should maybe go consider listening to that. If that's your one takeaway from today, there you yeah. go. Yeah, look, so. look us up. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the plug, John. Appreciate it. But uh, so, Ben, knowing that that is your job, you know, then the, the question I like to ask is what role does partnering with God play in your work, which seems obvious, right? You're doing quote unquote sacred work, but it's like you said, some of the moments don't feel so sacred. So talk about like, how do, how do you partner with God to sustain you in that work? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that question because I, I do think, you know, initially it feels like it feels a bit obvious. Well, of course it's partnering with God, but I do think, especially in church work and I think it's easy to get into a mindset where we're sort of 
doing this for God or we're doing this, I don't know, in some other way than an actual partnership with God yeah. uh, in it. But um, so I appreciate the question because for, for us, it has become kind of everything. And when I say us, I mean like we at Gravity and we at the table at the church. It has become kind of everything. Um, it, it's kind of what we think life is all about. And so we try to practice, I try to practice, you know, my, my vocational life as a partnership with God, obviously. And so I, you know, I'm trying to pay attention to how God's uh, at work in the midst of the work, um, try to pay attention to, you know, why. And so for us, that means like, you know what, I feel slightly annoyed uh, this morning that I have to deal with this. Well, you know, on one hand, in the one sense, in one sense, okay, I've, I do have to deal with this and and that kind of thing, but there's something going on there in, in my annoyance, right. For me to pay attention to, to say like, what's happening here that is this a disruption or is this, you know, is, you know, is this something for me to pay attention to? Um, and it, it's, you know, it's kind of how we train. It's a, it's what, it's a lot of the training that we do in our discipleship groups and in gravity cohorts is paying attention to our life and yeah. say, how do we learn how to live it? is in a way that is partnering with God in all things at all times. Um, so anyway, it's, it, it kind of has become everything. And so, you know, instead of getting a good idea, you know, and, and trying to run with it, um, yeah. we're, we're trying to just perceive what is God doing? Trusting God, God is present. God's always at work. What is God doing? How do we participate in that work and that life? And I think something I would love to touch on with you today, I'm just going to put this pin in there or put this little tease in there, but, mm-hmm. you know, so far, most of these conversations I've had and most of the ones I expect I will have will be about um, talking to the individual person about how they really kind of curate their own attention or cultivate their own soul. Mm-hmm. And I certainly want to move that direction with you. And at the same time, you work very closely in a dual leadership position in two different organizations with the same person. (laughs) Yes. Um, That's pretty unique. Yep. Which blessings on you for that, for working with Matt. But um, I'd be even curious to know, there's also, there's also a, then a some collaborative rhythms that I would imagine have to come into play. Right. Like, so Mm -hmm. there's all, there's your own work of discernment and attentiveness, Yeah, but there's also a collaborative discernment maybe even attentiveness that has to come into play. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to touch on that. Even as I ask this next question, Mm -hmm. then what, what do your, what do your rhythms look like? How do you cultivate that attentiveness? How do you cultivate that awareness? Mm. Um, You can, let's talk about your own personal rhythms first, but then let's talk about what that looks like in collaboration with another, you know, with a a co-leader. Yes. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, but yeah, for, first of all, just personal rhythms. Um, for me, um, I, I mean, you know, some of the stuff you'd expect, but it, it's actually really important um, for me, like morning prayer mm-hmm. uh, and evening prayer. I get to evening prayer maybe half the time. Uh, you know, morning prayer it, it happens most mornings, um, and I, I pray the daily office and I spend some time in contemplation, just silent, you know, silence and yeah. a prayer word, you know, that I. Uh, engage with. Um, again, when I'm on my, we can maybe share a little bit more about how I 
how I notice that uh, I'm not doing well. And one of the things I avoid is contemplation when I'm not doing well. So mm. it never feels like there's enough time, you know, so right, I, right. I, don't have, I don't have time for that this morning, but right, that's right. an important discipline for me, morning and evening prayer. Um, I go on a walk with my dog twice a day, um, take the dog out for a walk around the block around lunchtime, like for about 10 minutes and then go on a longer walk with my wife uh, and my dog for about 20 minutes in the evening. That's a really important time for me. Um, I cook dinner for my family most evenings. Uh, that's a new thing for me. Took yeah. that over from my wife a few months ago. Um, but it's I consider that kind of a rhythm for me that uh, is really helpful um, for me. It kind of gets gets me out of my head, uh, puts me into my environment in my in my body. Yeah, I have to pay yeah. attention to what's happening. You know, um, stuff's cooking, and I don't want it to burn, and I want it to taste good. And, you don't want to slice the tip of your finger off? Nope. Yeah, Not you, that I'm speaking you, from personal experience. Here, but. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I've heard knives are sharp. <laughs> or um, mandolins. But again, I'm not speaking from personal experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, cooking dinner, um, connecting with my family uh, in the evening. Uh, we try to eat together. Um, and then, you know, if possible, I've got older kids now. And so, um, you know, connection is uh, it's changing. Uh, the way that we connect with my teenage daughters. And I've got two uh, out of the house, actually. Um, but yeah, connecting with family in the evening. Um, getting eight hours of sleep each night. That's an important discipline for me. It is. It is. And qu- every quarter, I try to schedule a day away where I just move all the, you know, nothing's on the calendar and um, just spend some time in a different environment uh, just in I don't know. Sometimes it's planning for the future. Sometimes it's retrospective. Sometimes I do a lot of journaling. Sometimes I just sit and watch birds. Yeah. Uh, but I try to schedule a day away every quarter. That's kind of so that, what I So do. that varies though. Like is that no phone, get out in nature, sometimes in a coffee yeah. shop? Is it just kind of what you perceive you need for that quarter? Yeah. It's just, it has been kind of what I perceive I need. Sometimes I'll skip it in, in particularly busy seasons. Um, I probably shouldn't do that, but <laughs> but I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of whatever I perceive I need. I I need to get out of my environment typically, so I can't. Uh, you know, I work from home most days, and I can't I can't be at home for that. Um, getting into nature really helps me. You know, getting away from my phone really helps me. Um, yeah, it's yeah. usually not a coffee shop. It's usually a quiet environment. So there's a couple in our church that has a retreat house, you know, about 30 minutes from my house and mm, oftentimes nice. just book a room there yeah, and just be in the quiet for a whole day. So uh, let's talk about those walks, because one of the things that's been interesting to me is how many times going for a walk has come. I don't have any questions specifically about do you go for walks, but <laughs> I, I would say Easily more than half of these interviews I've done, and I've only done a handful so far, but Mm -hmm. somebody has talked about how important it is to go for a walk. So what is that? What's important about that for you? And is is there a structure or a format to what you try to do on that walk? Or is it just the fact of getting out and disengaging from whatever you're working on? Yeah, there's no real format to it. Um, I I think the importance of it for me is, as I reflect on it, one thing is just moving my body. Uh, I think yeah. that that just physiologically, it sort of you know kicks different things into gear, and it's helpful. It gets me outside, um, and so I, I typically go no matter the weather. It's only on the very coldest days that I will not go for a walk, or maybe just you know go for a very short walk. Um, 
but yeah, most, most days I'll go for a walk and just bundle up. Um, so I think it's, it's about moving my body, you know, and, and kind of changing the rhythm. Um, but for me, it's also, I mean, I, I typically go out there with my dog. Right. And I, you know, I, I don't doubt that a walk by myself or, you know, just with my wife would be helpful. Um, but there's something about, I think there's something about taking care of my dog. That's a really important spiritual rhythm for me. So I, Hmm. I, I sort of get up with the dog in the morning and feed the dog. You know, I'm with the dog most days because I'm at home. Right. Um, my wife works outside the home. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's something about, there's something about serving the dog (laughs) as well, you know, and just saying like, well, you know, I, I have to go for this walk now because, you know, Edith, Edith is our dog's name because Edith, Edith needs to go outside, you know, like, it's, that's uh, something the dog needs. And so I'm serving, I'm serving this little creature. Um, so I don't know. Those things come to mind for me. As you ask that, that, that seems the same as preparing dinner. Yeah. I mean, do you serving, experience the same thing? I think so. I think there's something, there's something really helpful for me about uh, sort of serving, serving people in a very normal way, you know, not by preaching a sermon, right. you know, like not by, I mean, that's a way that I serve people obviously occasionally too, as a pastor or even like doing spiritual direction. I'm I'm not serving in some sort of exalted spiritual capacity. I'm serving in a way that almost anybody could serve. Anybody can learn to cook. Anybody can take the dog for a walk. Right. And there's something about it. I think that is important for me. Yeah. And it seems really grounding, right? Because, yeah. you know, when you are, in some leadership role in a church setting, it's really easy to get some air of self-importance, you know, like the things that I do are so important and so valuable. So there's something grounding, maybe even humbling about I'm caring for this almost helpless dog, probably not completely helpless or I'm, you know, I'm caring for my family in this way. Does that, does that level of helping and care come naturally to you? Or is that something that you need to kind of keep being, yeah, it kind of keeps need being rebirthed in I, you. Yeah, I think it does need to keep being rebirthed. I think that's why it's important because I can imagine other people with you know kind of different personalities and proclivities that might actually b- benefit from you know not being so mindful of what other people need. Right. 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 Like I, sure. I've actually counseled a lot of those people or, or done you know spiritual direction and with a lot of those kinds of people to say like, what does it look like for you to like, what do you need or what do you want? And they they don't have they have no idea because they've been so conditioned to think about what other people want. But I think, I think the way that I'm wired up, it really does help me uh, to ground myself in these rhythms of service to people, especially in sort of these mundane areas. I mean, I, I like cooking and I really love it when people like my cooking. Sure. Um, but you know, like there's only so much like new dishes you can do. And then, you know, eventually you're sort of bored with what you're cooking, but it's okay. You know, it's just dinner. You know, right. it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just chicken curry and some rice and it's just dinner. You made it a hundred times before. It's fine. You know, it's never just dinner though. There's still some like, <laughs> there's still, uh, cause I cook a lot too. There's still yeah. some level of being attentive to what you're doing. Even if you've made it before, you're like, right. can, can yeah. this just be a little bit better? Last time yeah, I made yeah. it a little more salt. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm always tweaking. That's, that is, that is true. So yeah. yeah. But well, okay. Discipline. Yeah. So then switching over then what do rhythms look like 
when you're working really closely with someone in two organizations. Yeah, yeah. So I should say we we brought on a third co-pastor. So Matt Matt and I planted the table, um, mm-hmm. but a, last year, uh, a little over a year ago, there was a kind of a one of our church planting interns who had been part of the church for a while. I uh, was ordained uh, to the priesthood, and uh, he now co-pastors with us. So we now have three three people uh, to co-pastor with at the table. Um, but yeah, just Matt and I at Gravity. Um, I think one of the, and, and it truly is a, like the, 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 nobody in those relationships is really um, kind of the senior pastor. Like oftentimes people ask us, well, when it comes down to it, who's the actual right, right. senior pastor? You know, like who who makes the decisions when you, can't agree on something. Um, and I, I mean, I have a whole rant about that, um, <laughs> which is just like, how many times does that ha- actually happen? You know what I mean? Like we're so far six and a half years so far. And you know, this is our marriage too, but like six and a half years, uh, into this thing so far, like we've just, we just work it out. You know what I mean? Like there's this discernment that has to happen as you're trying to follow Jesus together and lead together. And a really like one of the important, um, I mean, part of our training at Gravity, honestly, is is helping people learn how how to actually do this, um, how to be in relationships with people where you can own what you want without right. holding on to it tightly and trying to make something happen, um, or um, and actually owning what you want, naming it rather than sort of uh, hoping that it happens or thinking it's unimportant. So one of the most important disciplines in co leading, I think, is paying attention to what you want and learning how to name that with the, with the person you're leading with, but also hold it open-handedly and say, I don't know why I want this or if I should have it or if our church should do this, but here's what seems like a good idea to me or here's what I would want. And if you can trust one another enough to discern those things together, then you can, you can trust that like God's spirit's at work in the midst of those conversations and Better things happen for for me and for Matt and for Spencer and for the whole church if we're able to have those kinds of conversations and lead our church into those kinds of conversations. So now it's not just the three of us co-pastoring in our church. It's actually now a whole leadership team. There's like 15 more people that we've invited into these kinds of conversations, right? right? Where it's like, well, you own what you want and you bring your you know stuff to the table and let's talk about this. And so you know, there, there still is a, you know, we are the pastors. And so there is a a unique calling there. And there's some things that we don't discuss everything right as a church, but we try to invite as many people as we can into that space of discernment um, where it's, it's safe to just name what you want, name what you're frustrated about, name what you're upset about. And let's discern. It just means that what God's at work here, like, you know, there's a reason that matters to you. There's a reason this matters to me. Let's see what happens. You know, let's see see what God's doing. So, being able to, um, being able to trust someone enough to like hold my desires without telling me why they're wrong or without feeling pressure to give them to me, but just to say, how is God at work in the midst of that thing that you yeah. want? You know, that's a really important part of that. And what is it? What does it look like? I mean, do you have? Do you have mantras, or do you have? <laughs> practices um yeah. to 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 maintain that because on the one hand it could go towards 
over-spiritualizing that conversation where it's just, you know, one person says, I really feel like this is what God is impressing on me. And that can, mm-hmm. that can stop short a group discernment process. Right. right? Well, how, who, are, who are you to argue with God, right? Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so what, yeah. is, what does that no, look like? No, that's helpful. Yeah. No, I think, so some of, some of uh, the mantras that we have, I like that phrase for them. Um, some of the mantras that we have, or we call them um, axioms, um, that we've kind of instilled into our community that help inform this kind of thing. So one is God is always present at work. Yeah. Right. Um, God looks just like Jesus. Uh, it's all about love. Or God is love, so it's all about love. So there's a lot of these kinds of things that give us, I think, the freedom to you know, move into those spaces with each other. And we also, we try not to ascribe anything that's happening inside of us directly to God. Mm-hmm. So that's some, as, you, as you narrated that, I just realized that this isn't explicit, but the way that we try to model how we share is it's subjective. I'm just narrating what occurs to me. So this is what I want, or this is the thought I have, or this is my interpretation of this. And we assume God's at work somehow in the midst of that, but we try not to ascribe that God impressed this upon me. Because right. honestly, I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. I have no idea why I think this. I trust that God's at work but I also don't trust my own individual private discernment to know that, oh, God said this, or God impressed this on me. Yes. I, all I know is that this is a thought that is occurring to me as we talk. And so I'll name it as a thought that is occurring to me as we talk, and I'll throw it out. And I'll say, what do you guys think? And as we, as we interpret and discern together then, almost every single time, there is a sense that, Okay, like we agree on God's will, um, and if we don't agree on God's will, most of the time we can just say, "Well, I don't know," and we can just wait, right, until we until we agree, until something becomes clear. Um, that's usually what happens. Um, and I've you know, there's a couple stories I could tell about how that works itself out, but I think that's an important aspect of it is not ascribing right to God, not assuming that this is a thought from God. Or thinking that I need to, I don't need to. I just need to share my thought. That's the important discipline. It's desire is a really interesting word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you you just interviewed uh, Kurt Thompson about his book Soul of Desire, which oh, I'll yeah. give another plug for because that was a great one. But that's a fantastic book. Um, and a fantastic, uh, fantastic interview. Yeah. Yes. And I, I'm doing Ignatian exercises right now this okay. year, yeah. and desire is kind of at the core of that. And so yeah. it's a, so even what you're talking about, it's a really interesting thing. Cause on the one hand, um, when you want to speak into something like that, there is some level of core desire, which it is healthy and fair to say somehow God has placed this desire on me on behalf of our community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time that, that might be, that desire might've been corrupted by your own, yeah, your own hurt, your right. own um, brokenness in yeah. some way. So yeah. there's something really healthy about sitting with others and saying, "This is this desire I have for our community. This is our impulse I have for our community." But help help me discern what the pure expression of this would be. Yeah, you know, because God is yeah. at work in our desires. Yeah, but there's something about working that out together. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think I think often we we assume we know what it would look like to have that desire met 
right? And we go chase that thing as if it's God's will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's why for us, it's been it's such an important discipline to just get back to naming the desire, you know? Um, we had, yeah. you know, we've had, we had people, you know, during the pandemic, we had people in our church who, um, they had such a strong desire to be with people and to be in community with others. And that, that was informed some, some, a little bit by trauma in their own life. This is all stuff that we learned, you know, post Absolutely. Yeah. because they were able to name this. Right. But, you know, in the meantime, there's a lot of people that almost left our church because of this, but, but what we learned later on was that their their desire to be with people was being disrupted by we went online for worship, we had to wear face masks, we couldn't meet in homes, you know, all this stuff, especially early on in the pandemic, right? That was that was so we're just trying to figure out what's going on. We don't want to make anybody sick. We don't want to contribute to, you know, infection rates and all this kind of stuff. But there were people in our church who were deeply, deeply hurting because they sure. couldn't be with people. Right. And some of that was trauma from their past. But I think the other part of it was we were able to name this like they were kind of like the canary in the coal mine for our church to be like, hey, there's there's something else we need to pay attention to here that our our community is actually like this is detrimental. Not be not being together is detrimental for our community. And so how how do we continue to care for people, you know, in both of these ways? And it was I mean, a deep challenge for us. But but part of the way we discerned what was happening in our community is that these people felt free enough to share that they were deeply hurting and they were, they were the message, you know, they were able to share, like, I don't know how to interpret this other than you don't care about me. You don't care about what I care about. But they were able to say that as like, this is the only story I can come up with. So help me, <laughs> you know, help me out. What are we yeah. doing here? Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, again, it came back to that discipline of being able to name what you want, um, but not assuming that just, okay, forget about masks and forget about COVID. Let's just be together. Like that would be the answer to, you know, that was how I know that this community cares about me. That was, that's how I know that, you know, you know right. that's how I'm going to get what I need. It's like, well, there was, there was, we had to do some discernment there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about you know, including your leadership team and conversations on all that. So there's, there's a lot of, um, you are not a, or you and Matt and Spencer, did you Spencer, say? Spencer, yeah. Okay. Are not, you know, these three people in a room that are just leading the conversation from afar. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm curious for you, cause you've been in ministry in several different contexts now at this mm -hmm. point in your life. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm curious for you what you've found to be a healthy way to be both vulnerable and present with your community and also as even this terminology as I'm about to say, it makes me uncomfortable, but set apart for leadership in your community. Yeah. You understand yeah, what yeah. like, what does sure. it look like to lead in a community that you are very much present and present in and part of for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And I, I think I'm still working this out for, for yeah. myself. Um, I, so some of the things that I pay attention to, I tend I tend not to be a very sort of open, vulnerable person just in general. Right. And so I'm, you know, keep, keep my thoughts, you know, in my head and keep my cards close to my chest, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I know that in general for me, it would be good work in my life to just 
learn to be more vulnerable, learn to be more open, right? Like that kind of thing. So I'm, I've got that in the back of my mind as I interact with my church and, and talk with people. Um, yeah, that I, I, I think about that. And I, I don't know, I think I'm, so I'm learning. I don't know if I have any wisdom on this, honestly, because I feel like I'm learning, learning to do this. I, I definitely know that I don't want to be leading from a position of being some sort of expert. Um, you know what I mean? That is right. like right. out there who, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. Who's just disconnected from community. I want to be in the community that I'm leading as a leader um, and model that for us. And so I'm, I'm learning how to do it. I think um, I just had a conversation today with someone that I, you know, just realized, like, I think I need to spend some more time with this person. Um, but, you know, this person is a friend, but I'm also this person's pastor, <laughs> you know? Right. And, um, you know, just, just parsing that out, I think is, is, um, is difficult. And I'm, I'm trying to navigate uh, what kind of vulnerability will be helpful for the people that I'm in right. relationship with and the people that I'm leading and what kind of vulnerability will, will trip them up. Um, and I, you know, I think I need to be more willing to make mistakes in that realm. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the rubric for me is it's not necessarily about like being super hundred percent vulnerable with everybody about everything. Right. Um, there are issues, for example, that I might have in my relationship with Matt or Spencer that would not be helpful to share with pretty, pretty much everybody yeah. else in the community. Unless, you know, unless I was like a really good, you know, mature relationship where they were like, okay, I understand what Ben's doing here. Um, but otherwise it could sow, you know, confusion for people. They'd be like, oh gosh, I thought these guys were on the same page. Like I didn't know they, you know, so anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's probably, I didn't, I don't think I gave you any wisdom no, there. I'm just well, saying I'm struggling you, with this. But I think there's, <laughs> I think there's wisdom in the struggle, right? Because yeah. part of the reason I'm inclined, I, I always struggled with that when I was in yeah. you know, church ministry for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it feels like it's a more acute struggle in this season as I've talked to so many mm-hmm. of my pastor friends who yeah. coming out of the last two years are really struggling with what does leadership look like and just the intensity yeah. of it. And yeah, and I think we've erred on the side of being too, quote unquote, set apart. And I think there's yes. room for correction, but there yes. can also be an overcorrection. So I appreciate that you're struggling yeah. with it. And I think yeah. there's, I don't know, I just think there's a lot of conversations for us to have around that. I, I think you're right. I'll just say one more thing about it that I uh, came to mind, I guess, when you were saying that. I, I have talked, you know, in our work with Gravity, we have talked with a lot of leaders who I think because they've, they've maintained too much of a set apartness. I think that actually contributes to their sense of isolation and alienation that they're feeling. And it also contributes to a congregation's ability to sort of treat them the way that they've treated a lot of pastors. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't want to get on the, you know, soapbox about how bad pastors are being treated, but I just know that there, there is a lot of critique, criticism. There's just a lot of that kind of stuff. That's very, very easy to do especially with a leader that seems like some sort of figurehead or celebrity that I don't actually have a relationship with and who's never actually been vulnerable with me about their pain or the, the difficulty they're having. We, you know, there's some, there's ways of being narcissistic, you know, as a leader that, that involve like being overly vulnerable. So we, we do have to be careful about that. But I do think that most leaders could, 
you know, stand to share a little bit more, not necessarily from the pulpit, but in living rooms, share, share more of their pain and their confusion, their hurt, you know? And I think that would help people to see like, oh, this person's a human being like me, doesn't know what they're doing, just like me. And if they can admit that, well, maybe I can too. Yeah. I I always wrestled with what does it mean for me to be part of this community? Um, Like I am a part of this community and I just have a unique role within it. And what, what, when that unique role needed to speak into it and when me just being part of this community needed to speak into it. And a lot of it is based on the individuals or individual you're interacting with at a time, but Mm -hmm. some of it is just the posture for how you sit in the role too. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's systems too that, come into play here that are difficult sometimes to counteract. You know what I mean? So people bring, it's not just how I act and not just how I want other people to act, but it's like, it's the assumptions that other people bring into this relationship. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to meet with the priest or I'm going to meet with the pastor. Like they bring all kinds of stuff into that interaction that, that, you know, might prevent me from doing the thing that I would actually like to do in this relationship. And so it's complicated. So you you teased this earlier, but how do you know when you're not doing well, other than avoiding con- yeah. contemplation? <laughs> yes. So I, I avoid anytime I'm you know anytime I'm looking at my watch uh, when it's time to go into contemplation, and I find myself skipping you know two three days in a row. I know maybe I'm not doing so well. Hmm. Um, other indications for me are um, I lack of sleep, um, not getting to bed on time. Um, uh, feeling anxious. Um, this sometimes, uh, happens where I'll, it's not very normal for me. So I know I'm not doing well if I, um, if I can't get to sleep because I feel anxious about something, I feel worried about something. Um, I oftentimes feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. It's all up to me. Um, I have that feeling when I know I'm not doing well. Um, and that builds a sense of resentment towards those I'm working with. Yeah. Because nobody's nobody's pulling their weight around here. I'm, you know, nobody's working as hard as me. Right. When those thoughts start coming and I start feeling resentment towards the people that are that I'm closest with, um, yeah, that's how I know I'm not doing very well. Yeah. And do you Lack typically notice those things when you're feeling anxious? Do you notice that the next day? Are you pretty attuned to I'm feeling anxious right now in the midst of this meeting, or is there a lot of intentional mm. retrospect that you have to engage yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a bit of both. Um, I've gotten I've gotten much better, uh, thankfully, at noticing in the moments when I'm feeling anxious. Sort of like, oh wait, this isn't this isn't how life is supposed to feel. Like, what's going on right now? Um, and and learning. It took me a while to learn this. It used to just pile up until something, you know, I'd snap at somebody or then I'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Um, but I've gotten a lot better at sort of just noticing when I feel un- uneasy or some sense of dis-ease, right? In any situation to go, this isn't how this is supposed to feel. What's going on for me right now? You know, what's happening? Why am I not at peace? You know, where's my yeah. joy? What's happening? Um, and usually I can trace it back to you know, some outcome I'm hoping for that I realize, oh, I'm, I'm pulling for something here and maybe there's a way for me to let go of this or just admit that I want something to happen here. And so oftentimes that's, oftentimes that's all it is, is communicating with somebody that I was disappointed about something or communicating with somebody that I'm angry about something, um, communicating with somebody that I'm really wanting a certain outcome and I'm not sure why. 
you know, oftentimes that that's enough for me to just kind of clears the air and I'm able to return to myself. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm aware of time. So yeah, even though I want to pick apart and dig into more of some things you just said, but, uh, let me, let me give you one more question and one more opportunity to talk about something that's coming up later this year for you. Um, your okay. book. Oh, uh, but that's right. <laughs> the axiom. Thank you for reminding me. That you mentioned yes. earlier. <laughs> uh, what, what do you, and like I, I think you and I are close to the same age. So you've got some seasoning mm-hmm. under your belt. I might be a little older than you. But I think you are a little older than me, but yeah. What, what do you, what do you understand now that, you wish you understood earlier in your ministry career? Yeah, that was, I spent a little bit of time thinking about that question. Um, it's a really good one. I, I think a few things. I, I think that I overestimated the value of doing something sort of remarkable or special mm-hmm. for God. Um, I really felt like that was, I feel like, I feel like early on, I hung a lot of my significance on the fact that I was going to be involved in something unique and special. And I really wanted to be on the cutting edge of, you know what I mean? Like I had all these sort of feelings about, and so I, I think I overvalued specialness uh, and undervalued just, just like being loved. So I think, I think it was just, you know, you're not special but your your beloved you know yes. is is like a really key thing um that i'm learning that i wish i would have learned earlier um i think another thing is just steady uh, in preaching for example um steady good news over time is way more important than like a flashy like yes. incredible like the the singular you know ted talk sermon that's going to yeah. change everything it's just yeah. like i have very little confidence in that now um, and I think I wish I would have spent less time trying to create <clears throat> remarkable sermons and more time just, you know, maybe saying the same sermon a, a slightly different way, you know, for right. for a few years <laughs> and see how yes. that goes in terms <laughs> yeah. of shaping a community. Um, yeah, lis- listening is, is way more important than I realized um, as well. I think um, I, I think... I wish I would have known that my vulnerable presence with people was way more powerful than my polished perfection or my flawless performance. Um, yeah. I should have started with that question and then we uh, could have dug into all these answers. Thanks for yeah. putting the time in to reflect on those. <laughs> well, we can, we can do it again. This is fun. Yeah. Um, but talk about, uh, you mentioned the axioms earlier, which yes, I almost yes. made a snide comment. You should put those in a book. Hey, <laughs> good idea. Let me you just write and, that you and Matt, yeah. are, you have a book in the works. So tell, tell us about that so we can be anticipating. Yeah. So we just, uh, we got uh, a book with IVP coming out that's based on these axioms. Um, uh, the, I mean, it is about these axioms. It's called Having the Mind of Christ, Eight Axioms for... I think we ended up calling it for cultivating a robust faith. Anyway, I can't remember what the subtitle is. Um, But anyway, it's coming out July 29th to 2022 um, through IVP. And it is, it's these eight axioms that we have found to be really helpful and important, um, both in our local church discipleship groups and also for the gravity cohorts that we lead. They're essentially assumptions about 
God and about life and about the way the world works that most of us would probably circle on a theology test. We'd be like, oh yeah, God is always present at work, you know, which is true. A, God is always present at work or B, God is not present and not working in my life, right? So we wouldn't circle B. We'd circle A on the test because we know that's the correct answer. Yeah. But the book is about sort of cultivating like, do we actually live like that though? Most of us know. Most of us, like we we enter into, you know, times like when I was talking about feeling anxious or angry earlier, like when I feel anxious, really what's going on is I'm concerned. I I don't feel like I can meet God in the midst of this because I, I don't trust that God's actually here or God's actually working. And so the book is about sort of uncovering some of these assumptions that we have and reorienting our faith around a new paradigm, um, a new len- lenses we can see through that will make better sense of our practices and make better sense of our lives and, and create a foundation for, uh, yeah, a faith that's just a bit more free and livable and breathable. Um, where we yes. can discern, you yeah. know, partnership with God, participation in God's life. Yeah. And that, I mean, and you mentioned this in your um, questions about what you un- wish you understood earlier in your ministry, but, you know, mm-hmm. and also within your book, I, I think there's something about when you're in a role of sacred leadership, especially those of us who are drawn to that, we want to accomplish great things for God. And we want yeah. to do that to show our love for God, prove our love to God. I keep having this come up even in spiritual direction sessions. Mm. And it's really hard for us to just say, I just want to be loved by God. I want to receive yeah. love from God yeah. because, yeah, I don't know if it's our accomplish, you know, our Enneagram three achieve things <laughs> culture. I don't know if yeah. it is our, um, just the nature of who's drawn into ministry, but yeah, mm. to just be able to, recognize that there's so much to be sustained by being loved by by Jesus and being connected with Jesus rather than trying to prove it all the time is yes. pretty significant. Yes. Yeah. 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 That that gets to the heart of it, John. It's it's uh it's a matter of learning to live like that's true. That I actually don't have anything to prove here or anything to accomplish. That that the things that I the things that I'm searching for I already have. How do I learn how to rest in that? you know, rest in God's presence, activity, God's work, you know, how do I learn how to act as if it's true? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we even said it earlier, but what's the, what's the website for Gravity Leadership? It is gravityleadership.com. Pretty easy. (laughs) Good job getting that one. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Well, Ben, great to talk to you. Go there to check us out. So Yeah. yeah, John, good to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Peace. Bye-bye. All right. When I hit.